Today we're talking to uh, Eugene. Uh, hi, Eugene. Hi. hi. Uh, probably most people know you by your handle. So uh, it's P-Himic. Uh, and um, I saw so many times whenever there was a question on Slack and just like I saw you, just like your icon coming out. I was like, oh, it's P-Himic answering again. So uh, you have been fantastic, I believe, in like helping the community, like answering all those questions. So how about we just try to dive in and just like learn or so for people to learn who is you, who are you like how did you end up in closure and how, how what are you doing yeah first of all thank you both for having me and for <laughs> describing uh, what i do on slack um but uh, yeah uh, i started programming uh, relatively early on but uh, relative to other people quite late on uh, since about 18 i suppose more or less professionally mm -hmm. and at first it was just following whatever my school and university had provided me with, like uh, Pascal, Delphi, C++, stuff like that. Um, it was not very fun, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But at some point I discovered a framework in C++ called Qt uh, from Nokia, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, it was from Nokia, I'm not sure at this point. And it was rather easy to use and it has incredible uh, incredible documentation had and still has i believe the modern versions of it mm -hmm. and it was like it supported a lot of um things out of the box so you even though you were writing in c++ it didn't feel like c++ you didn't have to do a lot of uh, menial tasks uh all over the place so it uh, finally it started to feel pleasant to mm -hmm. write software <laughs> without yeah, yeah. delving into the lowest uh, level of details even though i'm relatively familiar with that like uh, i used to write in some assembly mm -hmm. uh, for uh, 386 architecture as far as i recall and for arm uh, in c and uh, at the base of uh, c++ but it's it has never felt that comfortable as it felt with Qt. Mm -hmm. so i uh, did that c++ with Qt and sometimes without uh, for two years i believe in uh, different companies um, at some point took a break of half a year just because the most recent company where I went uh, it was so bad that just the uh, working culture was so bad that I had mm. to take a break <laughs> for half wow. a year yeah. and at that point uh, I just stumbled upon closure and um, briefly uh, read it. it's, its documentation uh, played around for a bit but didn't take it as a uh, serious hobby so to speak it just mm -hmm. it was on my mind at that point but um, it wasn't anything serious which uh, year was that hmm? which year was that Oof. 2000 maybe 12 okay so maybe pretty early 11. yeah mm -hmm. in closure yeah. and uh, I got hired uh, at that point um, by a company that was mostly a java shop uh, mm -hmm. without me uh, knowing any java but I learned on the job yeah. Worked there for two years, and uh, my uh, how do they call it? A test, like an exercise uh, that got me into that job uh, during the interview phase. They uh, have given had given me an infinite amount of time and said that, well, here is a task. It's an experimental task. We have never given it to anyone before. You will yeah. be the first one, and it was um, scheduling. Uh, jobs across multiple workers in a way that would be optimal uh, given that uh, 
if a worker switches between tasks, it is considered suboptimal because a switch takes some time. Mm -hmm. So basically some kind of a scheduling system. And I decided since I wasn't given any uh, constraints on time or language, I decided to why not pick up closure for this. Uh, mm -hmm. I would learn the language and uh, write something in it. Yeah. So I ended up spending like a month on this project, I think. I, I was also moving uh, between apartments at that time, so that took some time. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I have come up with a client-server uh, software with a full front-end uh, written in high charts JS, I think, mm -hmm. which was uh, just for the fun of it, I decided to make a single-page application that would be mm -hmm. uh, fully dynamic and so on. And the backend has uh, uh, had all of the features that were required. And when they looked at my code, I was pleasantly surprised that, well, they told me that at that point, uh, it was the idiomatic solution in Clojure for this task, basically, mm -hmm. with me having no experience in Clojure whatsoever. Yeah. I guess it's just that I have read all of the documentation that was available at the time, and yeah. I have took many, many iterations on the backend until it felt uh, just right. Right. So it probably also felt like natural fit also for doing this job, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, that yeah. was the end <laughs> for Clojure uh, during that time period for me because, as I said, the company was a Java shop. Yeah. They didn't really um, consider any other languages. At some point, I started using Python for an internal project and some JavaScript. Uh, and using Python was easier than Clojure in a sense that uh, other people were more willing to chime in mm -hmm. because, well, it, it's... It just feels natural for a Java programmer to look at the Python code and see immediately right. what's going on, which is not the case with Clojure. Uh, so I started writing in Python uh, a significant chunk of code. And when I left uh, that company and started working, basically uh, be became a freelancer, mm -hmm. I my first project uh, was with Python. But gradually, fortunately, Mm, I was very lucky I have stumbled upon a client with whom I work today. Mm -hmm. Like we've been working for six years, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, more than six years. And uh, he doesn't have, or at least he didn't have at the time, any preferences uh, about languages or technologies, just anything that would get the job done. Mm -hmm. And uh, initially I started working with Python. Uh, he was familiar with Python, and I gradually started to change things. Uh, first of all, uh, the front end uh, was written in Clojure script from the get-go, mm -hmm. and eventually it became apparent that Python is just, oh, it doesn't let us do the things that we want to do, or at least not at the pace we would like to work on. So I rewrote the, uh, the whole backend from Python into Clojure, and I've mm -hmm. been using the combination of Clojure and Clojure script on that particular project for mm -hmm. years now. Right. So what kind of libraries do you use on the backend? Uh, depends. Uh, I am not a fan of um, frameworks, as many people uh, yeah. in Clojure community would also say, I suppose. So uh, whenever I have a particular need, I just uh, research what libraries there are uh, mm -hmm. that fill that particular need. For example, for um, SQL, query composition, I have considered, uh, I think it was YesQL, Honey SQL, and Hug SQL. And mm -hmm. I think YesQL is uh, 
deprecated at this point and hug SQL is its successor as far as I recall. Mm -hmm. But my tasks uh, so far has always uh, have always involved uh, very dynamic queries where there are a lot of conditional clauses that are conditioned mm -hmm. upon some runtime properties. Uh, so Honey SQL uh, has always been the best fit here, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same case with other libraries, like with uh, mm, web server. Uh, I use right now Aleph and on top of it Yada uh, mm -hmm. from Juxt uh, on uh, two of my projects. Yeah, uh, have been using it on three, but the third project got completed, so, so to speak. So it's not my project anymore, but it's still written mm -hmm. in Yada, uh, using Yada. Yeah. And uh, it's a nice web server, although uh, uh, I wouldn't consider Yada nowadays simply because its development seemingly has uh, stagnated because they have a different project. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would consider something else. But uh, when I years ago when I decided to pick it up, it was because well, I have um, gathered information on about seven, I think eight uh, different web servers and. Uh, wrappers for web servers and overall uh, yada one at least in my book uh, mm -hmm. judging by many parameters such as performance ease of use uh, what comes out of the box how easy it is to extend it and so on mm -hmm. right uh, and uh, on the front end on the front end uh, well many people would know that i prefer reframe because i'm uh, quite active there mm -hmm. and um Yes, it's just the best fit again for my tasks. Uh, not everyone will have uh, the same opinion on it, even if the tasks are quite similar. But uh, Reagent just, uh, f well, first of all, uh, React is just uh, nice to work with. I don't uh, really have to deal with a lot of stuff that I used to have to deal with uh, when I was using, uh, say, Angular or jQuery, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not uh, without issues, of course, but uh, it's still worth using. Reagent is just a nice uh, wrapper that provides a lot of functionality that is nice to have. Mm -hmm. It's not always nice for all of the use cases, but for my use cases, it is uh, really good to have it. Mm -hmm. And same deal with uh, Reframe. And of course, again, uh, there are still issues. Uh, like with Reframe, the biggest gripe is probably, uh, I believe it's issue 107, but I might be wrong here. Uh, it's called global state. Yeah. And... Uh, it's, it means that it's hard for us to you know, come up with a universal way uh, to reuse parts of our application in a different place. We always right. have to come up with some ad hoc solutions uh, based on whatever preferences uh, the developer has and not whatever the framework provides or the yeah. library provides. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and which Slack channels are you most active on? Mm. Closure, closure script, reframe, reagent, um, sometimes off topic. Uh, let me actually see which ones I have notifications enabled for. Um, quite recently, I have become somewhat active on admin chat because I have uh, become an admin on Slack. Oh, all right. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so apart from this issue 107 that you mentioned with the global reframe state, and I guess, you know, if you're really building like a single page applications uh, where you have just one instance of this thing, so it really doesn't matter. And I think this is what reframe was built for. 
Uh, are there any other things uh, from Reframe that you maybe dislike or that you really like? Is there anything that really stands out? Well, it's just a combination of the fact that it has a global state, which uh, it has more useful things to us than it has problems, so it's still nice to have. But uh, it's a combination of having a global state and a combination of it being a closure script thing uh, that uh, has allowed to um, create a, a tool called Reframe 10x, um, mm -hmm. which is like a viewer into the Reframe inner state, uh, not just an inner state, but uh, all of the workings and also reagent mm -hmm. works, workings as well. It allows you to see uh, the current state, was what has happened, uh, why it happened, and so on. Right. Uh, including low-level stuff like why the component, uh, a particular component, re-rendered as far as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing. Another thing is somewhat of, of a meta thing. It's uh, a documentation of reframe is quite good, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always easy to point people to the right location just because pretty much everything has been discussed at one point or another and uh, has made its way into the documentation. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to structuring application state in your reframe application, how do you normally approach this? Because this is something that is, there is no opinion about this in reframe. You need to handle your own state. You have your DB atom. And how do you, how do you normally go about this? It depends on what kind of state it is. Uh, I mm -hmm. think, well, at least in my experience, there have been always two kinds of states. Mm -hmm. um, of state. Uh, one kind is something like uh, the main data, so to speak, something that can be modeled, uh, something that is suitably modeled as relational data. Basically, it would be a view into a backend uh, PostgreSQL database, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are multiple libraries for it. I have written basically my own, which is it just solves my specific needs. I haven't published it yet, maybe will at some point, not sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other kind of state is something that's uh, more or less ad hoc, like um, metadata of any way, like uh, currently logged in user, for example. Right. Or maybe scroll position, if you consider it an application state, or maybe a current uh, filter of some specific entity in some specific table, or current page number, stuff like that. So for the first kind of state, as I said, uh, uh, there is a solution that I have written for myself, and it basically uses a uh, specific key uh, in that uh, app DB of reframe and within that key there are multiple uh, maps and vectors of maps that uh, have uh, entities and all sorts of indices of uh, those uh, entities. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the rest of the data I don't really have any structure like, because it's hard to imagine what uh, this structural way to store that data would be. Uh, the current user, where would I put it? Like, it's just a current user, that's the key, current user. Right. But a current page of a particular table in a particular uh, panel uh, mm -hmm. for a particular entity, well, it depends uh, how we structure the rest of the application. So it probably would be some nested key, but uh, the structure itself would probably uh, be of some specific shape. So it's hard to uh, tell something specific here without actually mm -hmm. writing an application yeah. itself. Um, do you normally namespace your keywords or do you keep them flat? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like namespaced keywords when the functionality that I'm writing is 
uh, it has to touch something global or it will be exposed to something global. Uh, so I would like to avoid any clashes. Mm -hmm. So like a page number, if it were a global level key, it would have a namespace, like maybe the current panel ID or something like that would mm -hmm. be its namespace. Mm -hmm. But for stuff that comes from the database, I I really don't like having namespaces. I have tried. Uh, like mm -hmm. I have written, uh, at some point, I bought into namespaced keywords and decided to uh, try it on a serious scale. Uh, yeah. Rewrote the full application into... Um, a way that uses only namespaced keywords for uh, data entities, so to speak. And uh, it just became incredibly much harder to use uh, everywhere. Simply because, well, for example, I have around five to seven kinds of entities in that particular application that I'm talking about mm -hmm. that uses, uh, that has a key called name. So if I don't namespace it, I can reuse uh, the very same function that, for example, uh, checks that name for something, but that's used f uh, for every entity regardless of the type of that entity, I can just reuse it and that's it. If I uh, provide namespaces for each key, well, uh, then each such function would have to uh, be, uh, it would either have to be a separate function for every entity, mm -hmm. or that generic function would have to have a separate uh, argument for the namespace. Mm -hmm. And that argument would have to be uh, threaded through every form where that function is used. And right. it just bloats overall the code uh, without mm -hmm. any apparent um, advantage to that. Specifically mm -hmm. because, uh, at least again in this application, that uh, entity-specific data, it never makes it into any sort of global state. So if it's a current user, it stays as a current user. It doesn't migrate into uh, some other properties. It doesn't get sent over the wire with the rest of the data. It's always confined to the key current user. It's always there. It's like right. a replacement for the namespace. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess by answering the questions on Slack, and uh, do you see any kind of common patterns of like what people struggle with? Is there anything that you notice that is asked more frequently? Mm. That's an interesting question, but it's hard to answer it without careful and long thinking. <laughs> <laughs> sure, take your time. There are multiple kinds of, uh, common kinds of questions. There is not the kind, of course, mm -hmm. but uh, some kinds revolve around people um, misunderstanding how something should work just because they have um, intuition based on other languages. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, well, many other common kinds just revolve around uh, people not willing to read documentation. And I completely understand that point just because reading something is a bit boring. <laughs> but uh, it's still, sometimes it's better to uh, read for five minutes than to struggle for half an hour. Right. Um, it's just you don't always know when you need to read something. Yeah. That's why that's like exists. Um, another type of questions, I guess it's not a type of question from the perspective of asking it, but rather from the perspective of answering it, is that a lot of things could be answered almost automatically if people knew how to use some basic functionalities of REPL. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, some people ask uh, how to use this particular function. Well, just uh, read the doc stream of that function. It provides mm -hmm. even an example. Uh, the whole function signature is in there. It's really hard uh, for me to understand how 
if you have that information, uh, how you would not be able to come up with the solution. So it must be that the person just didn't have that information, but that information could easily be extracted with uh, any more or less serious closure editor, just using uh, some short key that uh, displays a doc string for you, or with REPL where you just view that doc string with a simple uh, right. form evaluation. Or online, of course, if you just want to Google that mm -hmm. function name or whatever. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, so just scratching on the tools part, what are you using as your tools uh, infrastructure? Uh, so far I'm using uh, Cursive with IntelliJ IDEA, but mm -hmm. uh, I think I have stopped updating it around a year ago, maybe two years ago, so I, I am stuck on a particular version simply because uh, my I have gripes with both um, IntelliJ IDEA and Cursive, and the First and foremost, gripe is that they are not open source, at least not the ultimate edition of the uh, idea. Mm -hmm. And Cursive, uh, it's just not open source. So it's always hard <laughs> to handle a situation where something doesn't work or doesn't work the way I would like it to work. And I just cannot do anything about it, like absolutely nothing. I could maybe write a plugin, but maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't, and then they update the IntelliJ IDEA from 21 to 22 and the plugin stops working. Um, uh, all of those problems that are relevant to closed source software mm -hmm. uh, uh, exist uh, there as well, and that I do not like. And <clears throat> just as a corollary to that point, IntelliJ IDEA moves rather fast and uh, not in the directions I would like it to be moving in. Mm -hmm. uh, Specifically, a few years ago, there was a backlash when they just decided to change the design of the UI for some reason. And okay. uh, that was a quite a drastic change, uh, so much that people came up with a plugin that would revert the change. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to understand why the change was necessary, was necessary, but still, well, basically, you either get stuck with it or you somehow switch to something else. Mm -hmm. So about a year ago, I started playing around with uh, Visual Studio Code and Kalua. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty nice combination, not without issues, of course, but I believe I will switch to it um, in the next few years, probably. It's mm -hmm. just a gradual process that I um, don't really want to force upon myself. Right, right, right. Uh, is there anything about Kalva that, I don't know, Peter listening to this podcast could like pick up and just say, oh, you know, I think I could help, help, help here or anything like this? I haven't used it in a few months uh, just because I'm using it for kind of personal projects and I didn't have enough time for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I can say from a few people that uh, tried to pick it up and couldn't, and I just was talking with those people, uh, for some reason it's hard for me to judge why, but for some reason for them it felt that uh, Visual Studio with Calva was like a hacky experience. Like you would have to be a person, a kind of person that likes to hack around with things. Uh, mm -hmm. You would probably use <laughs> Linux, but maybe not. It's just a common like um, image of a person. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have your own toolbox to do things instead of uh, just getting some tool that someone has created for you and using that tool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe I understand what they mean, although for me it's not an issue at all because... I like to I like to hack around with things. That's why I prefer mm -hmm. open source software. Yeah. Um, but for some, it's a struggle when they just want to click two buttons and basically have the project um, executed, compiled, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm 
yes. Um, so is there is there more to it? Is there more that you like see and like apart from um, the documentation, people you feel like they don't know maybe sometimes how to get to the documentation, uh, how to read it, and um, and then the um, well, I would say like the inheritance from other languages that they come and they just have different expectations for the language. Um, is there anything more? Um, <laughs> it's a kind of a philosophical topic at this point, I guess, because it comes down to the human condition in the widest mm -hmm. sense. Uh, many people, at least I find it, uh, are not very inquisitive. So whenever they find something that seems to work, something that seemingly could be used to solve their problem, they just get, uh, they just stick with it and automatically get stuck with it. Uh, they mm -hmm. don't always uh, pursue anything new. Mm -hmm. uh, so when for example, people uh, that used, uh, not all people, but quite a few people that used to write in some imperative language, some C-based language of that family, uh, they get into closure. Decent chunk of them uh, would just try to do, um, try to write code in somewhat an imperative way. Mm -hmm. uh, they would always ask questions, maybe not on Slack, but online there have been enough uh, precedents. Well, they would ask, well, how do I create a class in Clojure? How do I inherit stuff in Clojure? I don't understand this language. Why doesn't it work and look exactly the way Java works and looks? Right, right. Uh, same with, uh, as I said already, with documentation. Uh, when someone, for example, um, goes to Slack and sees that uh, it's possible to ask a question and the question will be answered, uh, decent amount of people would just uh, resolve to that way of uh, exploring things instead of just reading documentation, which would save both of them and the people who answer those questions uh, a lot of time, just because documentation mm -hmm. is, has been written very carefully, it's structured, it's searchable, it has a lot of things that the person uh, will probably need but don't realize they uh, need it right now and so on. And it's impossible to judge uh, from my side of the screen right. what exactly they will need at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, so for you as a person coming from like Java and other languages, was there anything particular in Clojure that was hard to like um, get and like understand? Surprisingly, no. And it's a bit hard for me to tell why. Maybe because I'm kind of a polyglot. I have been writing in as I said, assembly, C, C++, Java, right. Python, JavaScript. Um, mm -hmm. What was it? Pascal and Delphi. Uh, pretty much everything that was used at some point or another, I would try to learn to a degree where I would be able to use it by myself or my mm -hmm. own projects. So I became familiar with a decent amount of languages. But of course, most of them are more or less from the same uh, C family of languages. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure how that helped me with closure, but I think just uh, my, uh, the amount of comfort I have when uh, looking at something new, uh, or rather the absence of severe discomfort when I look at something new, uh, that definitely helped. I mm -hmm. don't mind uh, becoming experienced with new things, even if those new things are very unfamiliar at first. Mm -hmm. And so what's your process for like picking up something new? Like, do you first dig through the documentation? Do you go through the codes? Like, how do you start? Uh, everything at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So I might, uh, so 
at some point I tried to pick up Haskell, but uh, just out of my own curiosity, I didn't have any active project or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was uh, as soon as I became um, stuck to the point when even a person more or less proficient in Haskell, uh, a person whom I personally knew, um, they couldn't help me. Uh, at that point, I just stopped uh, perusing the language and tried to do anything, something with it. But mm-hmm. basically what I would do, I would uh, try to find a function that solves some something, in some task in particular, like just, just as an example, find a substring in a string, um, mm-hmm. find an index of a substring in a string. I would Google around how to do it. I would maybe, I don't remember all the de- details right now, but I would find a some function or some discussion of some functions uh, that would do that or something like that or that could be composed to uh, solve the problem that I have. Mm-hmm. Then I would go and read uh, documentation for those functions, think a bit about how to uh, use them in my own uh, usage pattern, read around uh, around those functions, like uh, sometimes websites with documentation suggest what functions I should also read about, like uh, closure documentation. At least one of the websites uh, does a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also read the source code of that function, of those functions, and I would try to find patterns of usages of those functions online as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so, uh, looking at different languages and stuff, is there any other language that you like? I don't know, excited about, or you're looking at uh, apart from Closure? Not really. I was at some point as excited about Python uh, as I was with Clojure, at least at the beginning of my uh, journey in Clojure. But yeah. uh, at some point, uh, that spark was lost just because, again, just with just as with uh, IntelliJ IDEA and the direction where it's going, uh, mm-hmm. same with Python. I just don't like the direction where it's going. Mm-hmm. When uh, Guido Van Rossum has uh, stepped down and I believe now they have a committee of people. I haven't really yeah. read anything about that in a long time. But just the um, the new propositions, new uh, Python enhancement proposals, they just, at least the ones that I looked at, they felt like it's just something wrong. Like the uh, infamous Walrus operator, not sure if you are familiar with it. Like no. it's they are basically changing the syntax of a language mm-hmm. just to accommodate to a very specific niche need, namely to be able to assign a variable within a conditional a condition block of if, so mm-hmm. that if that value is uh, false or none, so that the name of the newly created variable would not uh, get leaked outside of the if block. Mm-hmm. So it's something very, very niche. Uh, I would have personally a need to use it like maybe once, two, three months, maybe even mm-hmm. uh, less often than that. Of course, other people would have a uh, much more frequent need for that, but I don't think it, it warrants creating a fully new syntax in a language and basically screwing every tool that has to deal with the language. Um, mm-hmm. Every single linter would have to accommodate that change every single alternative implementation of Python, of which there are not many just because there is a lot of syntax, (laughs) which is not to say about closure, since the syntax is relatively simple. There are many, many implementations of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So was there anything else like apart 
uh, enclosure. So, or what was the particular thing enclosure that really like I don't know fit uh, to your like coding? Was it the parentheses or was there anything else? It definitely feels like it's a much more well-designed language than others I have tried so far. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are still uh, things in the standard library uh, that maybe in, even in the core language itself uh, without the standard library that uh, language maintainers say that they would create differently, mm -hmm. implement differently if they were to create a new closure, so mm -hmm. to speak. Like, for example, I believe it has been said that STM would not be implemented at all, software transactional memory, mm -hmm. just because basically nobody uses it, uh, apart from very, very few people. Uh, and there was something about agents as well. I believe uh, Rich Hickey himself has said that he would uh, reconsider implementing them. Mm -hmm. um, there were other things like... Uh, I reduce interface would not be would not make it into the language at all because mm -hmm. I reduce in it is just uh, superior in every way and many other things like that. But um, even d despite all of that, it still feels like uh, a lang the language and closure itself uh, is much better designed than everything I have used so far. Mm -hmm. uh, just as an example, I can in Python and please. Excuse me, <laughs> people listening who love Python. Uh, I have gripes with that language, definitely. Uh, there are still a lot of things that don't quite make sense, but also people don't want to change them. Like, for example, the capitalization of uh, the standard things. You have dict, lowercase. You have default dict, uh, all lowercase. And you have counter uppercase, thread uppercase, and other things like that. Uh, it's very inconsistent internally. Uh, there are many mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. mm, so that is that definitely feels strange. And uh, they, uh, all while they introduce new syntax to the language, uh, they say that uh, they will not change those things that are inconsistent within the language just because they would have to support them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't get that line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. uh, also, just because closure itself is, well, at least the original closure. Uh, works on, on top of the Java ecosystem, which have, has uh, solved, pretty much solved, uh, a lot of problems and uh, which has incredible instrumentation all around it. Uh, Clojure basically inherits, inherits all of that. My probably, uh, probably the best part of the whole ecosystem is just how easy it is to work with dependencies. Mm -hmm. uh, in C++, it's a nightmare. In Python, it's maybe even more of a nightmare, even though there are more tools uh, there. Mm -hmm. um, would there be anything else that you feel like it's worth talking about that you maybe see in a community? Or do you feel like, I don't know, someone will benefit from knowing that when you went through learning closure that you feel like, oh, I wish I knew this before or anything like this? Uh, People that want to learn Clojure should definitely read uh, just the source code of the standard library, uh, first and foremost, of the functions that they use every day. Mm -hmm. um, just because it has a lot of... Well, sometimes the code itself, I would, for example, disagree with the way some particular standard function is written. Mm -hmm. uh, but very well maybe just because uh, it's written that way 
due to some historical reasons. For example, something did not exist back then, like transducers or something like that. Mm -hmm. And nowadays I would write it in a different way. But it's still interesting to see how something works and it definitely, at least in my case, has affected me uh, to a great extent where I would just start thinking about um, things in the closure world a bit differently. Mm -hmm. Another thing uh, is just uh, I would definitely like to like for people in general to become more inquisitive uh, when you see something, some anything. Uh, if you use it, uh, it would be useful for pretty much everyone, uh, including you and all people around you. And that thing, if you became somewhat excited about it and decided to just learn it, uh, look around it a bit more. Like, for example, mm -hmm. with even the Slack that we have, uh, a lot of people that join, they just ask something in, for example, Clojure or some other channel that uh, they get joined uh, automatically. Uh, but there are hundreds of channels. Uh, right. There is the tiny plus button with browse channels, with search, there are channels for specific countries and so on. Some of them are small, some of them are even dead, uh, didn't have any activity for the past year. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of channels that are active and uh, that would be better suited for something. And even if you don't have any particular question, there are still channels that are just fun to browse through. Like we have an art channel that I learned recently about closure art. And mm -hmm. there is a lot of interesting work in there. And like it just uh, looking at it gets me excited. And uh, mm -hmm. I would definitely like to try something uh, mm -hmm. in that domain myself. Any other channels that would maybe benefit from a shout out that you're using? Well, definitely closure art. <laughs> <laughs> and apart from that, um, let me see. Well, reagent channel, reframe channel, if you use those, uh, uh, yeah. pl please go there and instead of uh, just asking the default closure script channel, simply because a lot of people don't use those libraries uh, and mm -hmm. those people are in the closure script channel. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, not really sure. Um, Babashka is a great channel uh, if you use that tool. And even if you don't use the tool, you should still learn about it because you will probably use it uh, when you learn about it. Uh, Shadow CLJS is a great channel just because uh, Shadow CLJS by itself is a great tool that I've been using for years. And uh, Thomas, uh, I believe Thomas is pronounced. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas is Hillary. just, yeah. He's been great uh, always with answering any questions about the tool and even just closure script in general and sometimes closure. Are you like, so what's your working situation? Are you looking for new contracts or if people are interested in like working with you, like what's the situation? Uh, as my, I guess it's called description or status on Slack uh, says mm -hmm. available for hire. Yeah. I am available for hire, although. Um, I don't necessarily have a need uh, for new projects, but if someone has an interesting project uh, that I myself would consider interesting, yeah. then I would definitely consider making uh, some time for it. The more yeah. interesting it gets, the more time I can make for <laughs> it. Like m my specific interests are, uh, they lie with science, uh, specifically biology and genetics. I have done a few projects in that domain. I even have a few publications, although I have never written a scientific word in that publication. I was I was just doing software part. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just something that is uh, the most exciting uh, thing in science for me is uh, genetics. Mm -hmm. But other domains would be interesting as well. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and this is pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there like any like are you looking for like full time thing or just you consider this just being like a side gig for sixty percent or something like this or? I am only open for uh, situations where uh, my clients would uh, hire me hire me on an hourly basis. But mm -hmm. if a project is really interesting and I am a good fit for that project, I would be able to work full time. It's just that officially that full time would be hourly. Mm -hmm. So I might work uh, from six to twelve hours a day, five to seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, if I needed, uh, I would take say a break of two times, maybe even a week, if I have to travel somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I would of course uh, tell my client about that. We would yeah, uh, communicate with each other well. And cool. uh, I just don't don't like constraints, even though I am willing to operate within those constraints, mm -hmm. more or less. <laughs> mm -hmm. I always like. Uh, some kind of degree of freedom being present. Yeah. It being yeah. explicit. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. So if anybody is interested in like picking up some of your like experience and work, uh, definitely they can reach out on Slack. Uh, where else, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, just go from there. So uh, are you also on Twitter or any other social media? I am in a lot of places, but I don't really use them. Okay. Sometimes I answer stuff on Zulip or on Reddit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and by the way, another thing worth uh, shouting out is that if someone wants to, or at least not opposed to installing a new piece of software or using a new messenger, definitely consider uh, Zulip. It doesn't mm -hmm. get uh, the attention that it deserves, at least in the closure world. And it mm -hmm. has a great uh, stream called Announce, where basically everything that happens online with Clojure, uh, it gets sent there. Uh, Reddit, Clojureverse, Stack Overflow, uh, Clojure Q&A. Mm -hmm. That's just once I see on my screen right now. Mm -hmm. So it's a very nice way to basically monitor what's going on, whether I can, well, for, for me, it's a good way to know whether I can uh, provide someone with an answer. Maybe I know something uh, that mm -hmm. would help them. And for others, it would just, it would might, it might be a foray into what's going on with the language. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, uh, Eugene, uh, thank you so much for taking the time, having a chat. I hope people will know a bit more what's behind the avatar and the hashtag now on Slack. And uh, it will be also maybe easier for them to resonate. Who are you? So thank you so much. And I catch thank you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.